This podcast is brought to you by Voice of Vets. Voice of Vets. Hear it. Feel it. Feel it. Feel it. Feel it. Feel it. Feel it. Students, parents, and educators around the world are feeling the extraordinary ripple effect of the novel coronavirus as schools are urged to close in a bid to curb and alleviate the spread of COVID-19 in the school premises. According to the World Economic Forum, over a billion of students, learners and educators worldwide are affected by the spread of COVID-19. And this has precisely affected the learning progress, their mental health, their coping mechanism, and also their academic performance. And it is unfortunate that this is expected to have a devastating impact on education around the world. And in South Africa, unions such as Satu, Neptosa and Nehau are calling for schools to shut down. And now that we know that the impact of the virus will adversely affect the education progress and performance of learners and teachers, how can the education sector reshape and adapt to the changes introduced by the novel coronavirus pandemic? Now, in a world of digital age where knowledge is a mouse click away, how can the South African government reshape the school system by implementing structural transformations and strategies in the basic and higher education sector to ensure convenient learning? and quality of uh, education to all learners amid COVID-19. Now, to share with us her independent opinion, we are joined by Mbali Gwala. She is a deputy principal in Jobek West District, a master's student in education at Vets University, a co-owner of TGR Boutique, a chairperson of Sacred Heart Solidarity. Good morning, Mbali, and thank you so much for joining us right here on VoFM 88.1. Hello to you, Tato, and all your listeners. Now, let's start off with this one. As a deputy principal and uh, a teacher, how has COVID-19 changed the way learning and teaching is conducted in your school? Okay, so there's been massive changes. And one of the biggest things that we have to deal with is that we are no longer just managing teaching and learning. We are managing COVID-19 and we're trying to manage all the regulations that have been brought to us by the Department of of Health. So um, there's timetable changes, which have had a massive impact on the staffing, which have had a massive impact on the type of teaching that we need to put into place. Uh, Our classroom allocations for all the learners has changed because of the regulation of 1 is to 20. So we've had to split our classes. So we have more classes, which means we need more teachers, which means we may possibly need more time because of um, each class needs to receive the same amount of teaching as that the Department of Health has, the Department of Education has regulated with their revised uh, and their trimmed curriculum. Then um, we have the screening process, the questionnaires that we have to do in the morning before schooling starts. We have the social distancing that we have to stick to, make sure that our classes are ready to receive learners and that we manage the infection rate and make sure that we are away from each other. There's the staggered lunch. There's the GAs that need to sanitize and make sure that the classrooms, each time we change periods, tables and chairs are sanitized for the safety uh, of all the participants in the school. 
And and what are the challenges that were introduced by the COVID nineteen in the education sector? Okay, so a major a major challenge that that we face in township schools is the big issue of the sharing of the textbooks. So so while we try and procure enough textbooks for all the learners, we do have subjects where learners are still sharing. That's number one. Number two, amongst or amidst the sharing of the textbook is we've had challenges with furniture. So in a normal, before COVID-19 in a classroom, I'd have 56 learners, you know, maybe four to three on one particular table and they're sitting with two textbooks and they could afford to share, they could afford to do the work that I give them in the classroom. Now they can't share the textbooks, they can't share the table. So, so that's a big challenge for us because we now have to rely on paper. And, you know, the exchange of paper is, is the business of schooling. It's the core function of a school. And scientifically, it has been proven that we need to be careful with the exchange of the paper that we have with the learners. Then, then um, social distancing and the one is to 20 uh, leads schools to say they need more teachers. And teachers who are already in the system, half of them are applying for comorbidities because they can't be at work because they are naturally sick. So we, have, we need more manpower. Uh, and that has posed huge challenges because we end up, and this is just like a, a personal experience that I've had. Maybe it's not happening in all schools. I've had to assist uh, other subjects because I'm a deputy. I, I have the language skill to teach a language and then I can see there's a shortfall, but the kids need to get the language. So I have to go into that language and assist. So because there's not enough teachers on, on, on site to be able to do that for me. Then, then the lunch as well has been a huge challenge because previously our learners would come with like an ice cream tub, you know, and they'd all, uh, you know, dish from the kitchen and then they'd all have their own spoon and they share. Now they can't even share that. So they mm. all have to have their own eating utensils, which is a massive change for a township school because we are so used to them sharing so much. So those are the major challenges that we've had to encounter in having to apply the regulations of social distancing. And let's talk about how you've managed to cope mentally, to stay productive and lead by example, because you are a deputy principal. Obviously, you have to lead by example. Yes. How, how, how has this affected you? mentally and how have you managed to cope mm, so so you know when 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 a country is struck by this pandemic all you hear the news you you listen to the radio you switch on the tv uh, you go onto social media everything is about covid 19 so for me it's been so important to try and find an escape where i can just you know, go into my own mind, into my own space and try and keep myself motivated and keep myself positive. So I've been, I've been reading a lot of inspirational books, I must say, that uh, just have got nothing to do with the pandemic and um, all about how to maintain positivity, how to keep a healthy mindset, uh, just so that I can try and keep abreast with the anxiety that I have to face from other teachers, but also to reciprocate to them a very strong sense of positivity and mm -hmm. hope that everything will be okay. So I, I use the motivational books that I read. And then for some people who don't accept this philosophy, I pray. I have to pray. I, I have to just hang on to prayer and I have to go into that momentum to say, you know what, um, this is going to end and there is a God, there is someone who's listening out there to our cries and our pleas and, and that just keeps me going and that just keeps my psychological 
um, aspect in tune, if you like. What are some of the complaints or the challenges that you've received from students? You know, I, I, I will say it again, and I, say, I said it to a colleague the other day, that when we go into the classroom to try and teach, we first have to eradicate a little bit of the mind of the learner that is just filled with COVID-19. So before, you know, all they see, all they hear is COVID-19. And then now I'm competing with COVID-19 and I'm competing with the subject that I have to teach. So that's one of the huge challenges that the learners are posing or that I've observed from the learners. But more than that, all they're concerned about is exams. Ma'am, are we going to write exams? Ma'am, are we going to sit for exams? Ma'am, do you, do you mm. think we're going to continue with schooling? You know, they, they also are actually just bombarded by the anxiety that they're seeing from from the media and from all the COVID-19 information that they're receiving. And then another challenge that they, that I've observed from them. Um, and I observe this in silence in silence. I mean, I catch them out, you know, they, they are, they are struggling to wear the mask. They, they can't keep the mask on for so long. Um, and, and moreover, they want to talk all the time because you know, the 21st century learner wants to talk, do lots of talking, but very little listening. So, you know, they're struggling to talk um, in their normal way with having to wear this mask. So I'm, I'm catching them out. Some of them are lowering it, you know, they're trying to relax it. And, and I mean, those are the things we have to keep saying to them. Hey, guys, you can't afford to have your mask off. You have to have your mask on. So those are the major challenges that's coming from them to us. You know, it's exams, it's the mask, and, and it's the issue of, is, is, is this the year? Do we still have a year? And I've realized that throughout the, the world, the education sectors have they have been talking about the need to rethink how uh, we educate future generations. Would you say COVID-19 has served as a wake-up call to rethink and reshape the education sector? Look, it's, it's, it's so unfortunate and saddening that we have to say it took a pandemic for us to actually rethink and reshape the education sector. But yes, um, the pandemic has brought on a, 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 an urgent need for us to actually think, mm -mm, we need to find another way in which we can reach our learners. We need to find another way in which we can achieve our educational goals. Um, unfortunately, it came through a pandemic where people's lives are at risk, where you know people are losing their lives already. But there is an urgent need. I, I can't emphasize this even more. There is an urgent need to rethink, reshape, and reimagine schooling altogether. Unions such as uh, Sad, mm -hmm. Neptosa, mm -hmm. and Nehau, they are calling for uh, schools to shut down uh, throughout the, the country. And you advise rather that instead of shutting down mm -hmm. schools, the government should implement strategic ways to transform our education system. Tell us about yeah. that. Okay. I, I, I'm glad when you started the interview, you said this is an independent opinion. <laughs> so, so, <laughs> I had to put that. So in yes. my little mind, <laughs> for, for me, in my little mind, there's two options here. The first option is that the department needs to think, right? They have, in my, in, in, in my opinion, they have ammunition. The department has ammunition. They have an assessment policy which guides or, or an assessment and a promotions policy which guides what determines a learner to move to the next grade. And, and, and just to give you a brief into my thinking, 
within that um, promotions policy, they expect learners to get 40% over three subjects. And one of them must be a home language. So I'm speaking for, for the secondary schooling because that's, that's where I am. Now, my thinking is if a learner needs to get 340s over three subjects, why am I teaching a learner seven subjects during a pandemic? Surely I can now move into fundamentals, right? And then in addition to the 340s, they're saying get three other 30s in any other subjects. So for me, it's about um, 10%, a little bit of this, 10%, a little bit of that, 10%, a little bit of that to bring those three subjects together because it's crunch time. So, so in my mind, we can use the ammunition that the department has to bring about innovative education strategies to still try and meet educational goals. Then, then the second option, so, so the first option is use ammunition. Department, you have ammunition, you have an assessment policy which you can uh, alter, you have um, a promotions policy which you can alter, you can even design an interim curriculum for all we know, to say during this pandemic, this is, this is where we're going and focus on the fundamentals so that we try and achieve the educational goal. Then, then the second option, which, which, will, which the department will say they don't have the financial muscle to do, is to go virtual, right? So we've seen the virtual space, there's possibility in it being successful. So roll, let's roll out the laptops, let's roll out the data, let's, let's, let's find ways we can educate teachers to... Uh, control classrooms on a virtual space and and let's see where that can take us and and yes that's a big project because you're not just looking at Gauteng you're looking at nine provinces you're looking at the repercussions and all the dynamics and the logistics that are involved in all the nine other projects but but there's hope in a virtual platform and that it, it is safer and it still achieves the educational goals so, so for me, it's those two options. And my frustration is, why aren't they coming up with a plan? Why are we stuck in a fight of people serving, you know, mandates, um, you know, debating whether schools need to open or close or no, let's just close for the two-week period. Yes, we're in a crisis, perhaps. Yes, we do need to close. There's too many challenges. But when, when we open, what are you saying, department? Come with something that, that we can use, something that is tangible, something that is innovative, something that is reimagined. And for me, they have some sort of ammunition that they should be using. In your independent opinion, do you think schools should shut down during this peak of uh, the pandemic or not? Hey. <laughs> the last time I was on the fence with this question, and I, I, I think I'm still on the fence. It's not for me about whether schools should open or close. For me, it's about mm. in the crisis that we are in, let's think of an innovative way in which we can still meet educational goals. Now, you mentioned that strategic plans that the government could implement is um, the distribution of uh, laptops and uh, venture into the virtual world or the virtual uh, way of learning. And mm -hmm. we are living in an unequal country with unequal opportunities. H how yeah. do you think the transformation will benefit every learner in this country? Look, it, it, it's a pity. And, and it's, straight, it's a pity that the inequalities of South Africa have just been exposed. 
you know it's a pity that you think of the rural areas you think firstly they don't have infrastructure they don't have fiber they you know you think about connectivity how on earth would they be able to connect so that they are able to continue with their learning process but you know this transformation is maybe just what they need maybe this is just what we need to bring these inequalities closer and and remember education is 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 giving to us a time to think about sustainability and equitability you know means of distributing can come in ways that we try and think you know for that learner that is struggling or for those places that are unequal maybe this is the transformation that we need to actually bring these inequalities closer together yes it's going to be hard and you think about them but there are benefits if we were to go into a virtual world there are now benefits that ha for sure every learner in south africa or every grade 11 learner let's say we piloted every grade 11 learner in south africa has you know the ability to use a gadget and has an ability to connect and speak to a teacher so so that alone for me is transformation because there are learners we must face reality there are learners who don't know how to operate a laptop like you're saying from the rural areas but maybe this is exactly the transformation that we need in order to bring these inequalities closer as a teacher and a principal can we afford to lose uh the academic year and start next year fresh i mean think about elena who is in grade 12 right now and is looking forward mm-hmm. to uh do yeah. their first year next year think yeah. about elena who yeah. is in grade 7 right now and is looking forward to do their grade 8 and be promoted to eight. the secondary mm-hmm. level are we at a point where we should give up and uh, afford to lose the the academic year for 2020 okay for for me as a teacher not for grade 12 for grade 12 we can't afford to lose it because i mean you know you're looking at learners wanting to explore different faculties and different universities and they actually need to get out of the schooling system so that they can actually start building that part of their lives so for grade 12s no i can't afford for grade 12s i want them to sit i want them to write the exam i want them to have an opportunity to go to university next year and 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 i think there's also possibilities there in that the higher education can actually extend their academic year um so that for the grade 12s we are able to to not lose the academic year but for the other grades tato awa to a certain extent we'll catch up next year we can teach them what needs to be learned next year we can we can try and bridge the gap look the reality of the department is that we do progress a lot of learners and we do try and bridge the gap as we move along so so for me there's hope for the other grades for the grade 12s maybe that's where we need to apply a little bit more pressure and make sure that we don't lose the academic year for them but for the upcomings uh, i'm an innovative teacher i can find a way is this not going to affect the school curriculum and the school schedule let's take for instance right now if we change and amend how are we going to bounce back to january to december okay. that that that's a very good question and 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 a colleague of mine we con- continually discuss this that okay we maintain the skill a skill is a skill a skill doesn't change right but i can teach the same skill using different content so so for me it's not oh it will affect us no it won't 
we the skill maintains. So if we want to teach reading, we'll still teach reading. If we want to teach presenting, we'll still teach presenting. If we want to teach writing, we'll still teach writing. But we can teach that using different content. So it's not about we'll lose the curriculum forever and ever. No, we, when we teach, we've been teaching the curriculum using skills and content forever and ever in different ways. So we can still achieve that goal irrespective of the time. Is our education curriculum or system preparing young people for the fourth industrial revolution to be uh, innovative? When you, when you think about the education system now, we're not. Our learners are still, we're still boxing our learners into the conventional schooling, you know, the classroom set up, sit down, write down, answer the question. We're not pushing them to say, okay, here's a problem, right? How would you solve it? Find the best way to solve the problem. And, and I'll give you another example that, look at our assessment practices. We, we assess learners using exams. So study, study, study. But when you move into institutions like the University of Wits, Wits has something called an exam equivalent where the lecturer will give you a question and you are given a period of time where you need to, um, you know, take the question apart, construct an argument, build an argument, you know, come up with a way, think reasoning, you know, and, and put that all together. And that's not even what we're doing in schools. In schools, hey, we, we feed them with all this information and then uh, uh, we expect them to be able to answer the question that appear in, a, in an exam. So, so like I said, it's, it's time for us to rethink, restructure and reimagine education so that we are able to meet the fourth industrial revolution skills. Look, there are some limitations, I must be honest with you. There are some limitations in a school where we really can't push them to that particular aspect. But um, independent learning, real life learning, and using their everyday experience can actually push them to be critical thinkers, can push them to be innovative thinkers. But but we need to come up with different ways. And I'll, again, I'll cite the nature of assessment as an example. If I want to push my learners to be critical thinkers and I want to push my learners to be problem solvers, the exam is not the all answer. It's about them researching. It's about them putting knowledge together. It's about them using everyday experience, taking pictures, and, you know, going around the community. Okay, you give them a problem. You say to them, go around the community. Try and find ways in which you can solve this problem. How are you going to solve this problem? Then they go out there, they interview people, they look around, they take pictures of their community, they think, okay, the, bra the, the, the drain in my community is blocked. Okay, what causes the drain to be blocked? They, they see, they assess, oh, okay, people are actually dumping uh, things into the drain. I mean, it's things like that that you can use to create critical and um, innovative thinkers. But to, to make them sit in an exam, answer questions, you know, the least I can do is show them pictures, show them videos, uh, and push them to be problem solvers and uh, give them entrepreneurial skills. Uh, but those need to be reinforced all the time. And for me, they can be reinforced by using everyday experience and different ways in which we can assess and push them to become that. Thank you so much for making time to join us right here on VoFM 88.1 Bali. And I'm uh, wishing you all the best with your future endeavors oh. and your projects. Oh, thank Firstly, thank you, Tato, for having me. But after having shared my independent opinion,
opinion. I recently did start a teacher's page. It's titled Teacher Mbali. And I've just hit all the social media platforms. So uh, where I do share some of my thoughts and some of the things I think could help us in the education sector. Um, and maybe people can follow me there uh, so that they can get more information on Teacher Mbali and a glimpse of who Teacher Mbali is. But other than that, I'm grateful that, you know, my opinions count for something and have been a blessing to your listeners. That was Mbali Gwala. She is a deputy principal in Johannesburg West District, a master's student in education at Vets University and co-owner of TGR Boutique and a chairperson of Secret Heart Solidarity. Uh, she joined us to talk to us about how the South African government uh, could reshape the school system. She is at Tichambali on all social media platforms. This podcast was brought to you by Voice of Vids. By Voice of Vids. To hear more of our shows, tune in to 88.1. 88.1. Or streams by www.vafm.co.za.